is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. It is Thursday, February 24th. James Burley, we're listening in studio. We're hearing that intro. We're back. How good it is to be sitting across from you. Michael Hernandez, our foreign correspondent, celebrating Friday across the pond. Michael, happy Friday to you. It's late over there. We appreciate you hopping on with us. We've got a ton of stuff going on in the world of soccer. But before we begin, James, you touched on it. It's great to be back in person, my man. It is so great to be back in person. Uh, you know, I was starting to get used to those Zoom calls. It was getting fun, but the, nothing's like the real thing. This is how it's supposed to be. Uh, I feel for Michael, although he does get to go see Premier League games. That's cool. But, you know, it's just I'm just glad that I'm back in studio. And, you know, Michael, we touched on it. You are still abroad, sadly. The studio reopening for podcasts didn't mean you were flying home, at least not yet. How's, uh, how's everything over there for you, man? Um, I'd say that uh, everything is great so far. Um, I, I've been to way too many soccer games, and I have plenty more planned. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing all right over here. Cry me a river, Michael. What, your 50s can't fit in your wallet either? Going to too many soccer games? You're living out everyone's <laughs> dream on this podcast. Like the I said, amount of programs I have is, is disturbing enough. Like yeah. I've, I've been to seven so far, and I'm going to one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then one on Tuesday. And then a bit of a break because Fordham's forcing me to go to Scotland. But after that, uh, straight back into a, a more Premier League. Well, I, I hope you brought, you know a finite amount of clothes that you can bring back all your memorabilia memorabilia excuse me from these matches but as we touched on at the beginning we got a loaded slate and you know I think you know James to begin there's obviously no discussion around this because UEFA made the ruling today amid growing tensions between Ukraine and Russia or you know if you even want to call them tensions we're on pretty much on the brink of war between the two nations the Champions League final has been moved out of St. Petersburg where it's going to go next, probably maybe Wembley. That's been thrown out there. It could go you know, anywhere else in Western Europe. But you know, as it was announced today, it's important to touch on that You know, as we get into our Champions League talks, just important to recognize that the finals no longer in St. Petersburg. Yeah, and I think it's probably the right decision. It makes a lot of sense. No surprise there. Um, uh, I was thinking maybe they bring it to Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. That'd be sick. But no, unfortunately, uh, we're probably going to have another final in London, which is great for England and English fans, uh, but that just means that whatever English team makes it to the final is going to have a great advantage. But, you know, moving it out of St. Petersburg, jokes aside, is definitely the right decision, and I think that's as much as we want to touch on that. Yeah, but let's go straight into the Champions League because we had a really good slate of games, you know, following last week's performance. I was on the podcast and I previewed it. I said that Chelsea versus Lille game would get us going well. 
I think it certainly, you know, didn't exceed expectations, but it was a Chelsea performance that Chelsea fans could be proud of. You know, 2-0 win at home. And then, you know, you look at that Villarreal versus Juventus game. I predicted a draw on that one. I didn't know what that Juventus side would bring. You know, a momentary lapse in defense, you know, allowed Villarreal to level that game. And now they're all square heading back. And then the Thursday slates, you know, two draws in those. Atletico versus Man United. United getting it late from the 19-year-old. And then Benfica, a performance I was not expecting from them against Ajax. I'll, you know, put my hand up and say that last week on the podcast, I was saying this one would be a runaway, probably expect 3 nothing to Ajax just because of how dominant they looked in the group stage. Benfica shows up, puts two past them, 2-2 heading into the second leg. So of those four matches, Chelsea's the only team with a win. Everyone else is draw has drawn, and, you know, with no away goals, pretty much all those other games are starting at nil-nil. James, Michael, guys, talk to me. Which game do we want to start with? Because, you know, with the exception of that Chelsea game, that's, you know, the only one with a positive result for one team. I'm struggling to see if any team is going into the second legs with a leg up on their competition. Because, you know, you look at that Man United game, that was pretty even, even though it took, you know, United late to break through that Benfica game. They proved that they're worthy to hang in with Ajax. And then Villarreal and Juventus, that proved to me that, you know, Unai Emery and Villarreal are as good as they have been in past years. And that Juventus, you know, it's just that one momentary lapse that cost them a 1-0 victory. And, you know, there's some questions about finishing the whole nine yards. I don't think that Juve team is complete. James, where are we starting? Uh, you know, I'd like to start with United Madrid because, I mean, I am a United fan. Um, I was actually working during this game, so I only watched the first 60 or so minutes of the match. Uh, but what, from what I looked at at the highlights right afterwards, it was a tale of two halves. Atletico completely controlled that first half. It was very frustrating to watch for me personally. And in that second half, United really started to take some edge into that match. Bruno Fernandez looked like Bruno Fernandez. Uh, that goal in the end, Anthony Alanga had to be clinical, and he was. Uh, but I, this is why I find the athletic, uh, excuse me, the away goals rule. Uh, getting rid of that to be very detrimental to the quality of these games because you see the the type of performance United put in and they don't get an extra reward for that away goal. It's a little bit disappointing. Uh, I thought that was kind of the magic of the Champions League is that home field advantage is so crucial. Uh, so that's kind of the way I look at this uh, week's matches to begin with because we got three draws and, you know, uh, Ajax, you know, doesn't get an extra boost, but they probably were the favorite in that match anyway. You know, uh, conceding two to Benfica, which is quietly, which quietly was the best, the best match of the week. Um, but yeah, regardless, in United and Madrid, uh, I thought that that game was obviously exciting. Tale of two halves. Jao Felix's goal was great, great team goal. Anthony Alanga had to come up big and did. Um, I'm just super excited for what's going to come in that second leg because, you know, United have looked shaky. Atletico Madrid probably doesn't have the same talent that they do, but also has. Uh, big pieces all over that lineup. It's going to be a really fun one, and those are probably the two biggest teams that played uh, in this week, probably the biggest matchup on paper. Um, well, you spoke about the Wednesday matches. I'm going to talk about the matches that were on Tuesday. Um, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to actually go uh, to the Chelsea match. I'm not sure if you can see my screen, but I'm holding the uh, uh, the program. But, I mean, that game, uh, I would say that, you know, Chelsea – um, were, you know, not in complete control, but, you know, they deserved their goals and they rightfully uh, deserved 
um, the win. Even Pulisic got a goal, um, which made me happy because, you know, I, I, it was actually on the side uh, that I was on. So being able to see that uh, was pretty cool. But um, uh, it, it, if you take a look at, you know, the match overall, Chelsea deserved those goals. Uh, they did take they did suffer, I believe, a couple of injuries. Um, so we'll have to see how those play out. Uh, and as uh, on the topic of injuries, I know that uh, for Juve, uh, Weston McKennie's out for a certain amount of time, which will you know impact the second leg as well as the men's national team uh, in the final qualifying. So you know, huge miss for them. But I mean, overall, you know, it's uh, it, it is sad. Um, uh, sorry, uh, going back to your point uh, that the best match was Benfica Ajax. Ironically, I also did not watch that. I decided to watch the United uh, Madrid game. So. Shame on me, I guess. But, I mean, you know, it's all four of these matches were, you know, good. And I'm just excited uh, for the second legs. Yeah, and I think we talk about that Benfica versus Ajax game. James, you coined it rightly so as, you know, the quietly the best game that we saw this week. And I think it's because Benfica proved, I don't say against all odds because, you know, they are in the Champions League and, you know, Ajax isn't the titan that they once were. They're not a Bayern Munich. They're not a Barca who we'll get to in a little bit, but, you know, from what we saw in the group stage, they were by far the best team in their group, and, you know, everyone was thinking that this might be the Ajax team that we saw a couple years ago that seemed to try and run the table, knocking out Real Madrid, but in this game against Benfica, you know, Ajax has the lead twice, 1-0 and then 2-1, and both times Benfica finds an answer. An unlucky own goal by Sebastian Aller, but, you know, I really look to that Yaremchuk 72nd minute goal as kind of kind of emphatic of how Benfica is going to stay in this game against Ajax but really realistically if you think that they're going to progress they're going to have to face a probably a bigger titan but it's proved to me at least that this team is willing to commit to their style of soccer which means doesn't matter if they're going to be outpossessed if they don't have you know they're not really dominating in the attacking third you know they only had four shots on target realistically one of them found the back of the net because of the own goal and then also the other three were kind of you know like snapshot half chances but it's to me a Benfica side that's willing to just sit behind the ball and then attack on the counter and you know take chances as they come to them and not look to create you know now not look to overwhelm the game so to say so I think if you're Benfica you really have to turn in that same performance against Ajax in the second leg just because we know how well this Ajax team can play and you know if Benfica progresses, it's a good sign to come because after Ajax, it's only going to get progressively harder. But if you're able to be successful in this style of soccer in the Champions League, especially in the Champions League where away goals don't count anymore, you can maybe, there's a chance that you can hang with anybody. And if you're Benfica, that's all you're looking to do. Yeah, and I, and when I look at this Benfica team, I think a lot of their strength lies in their defense because they have so much experience uh, within that sen- central defense pairing of Niklas Altamendi and Jan Vertonghen, you know, that's that's prem- that's two Premier League uh, veterans right there. And I know they probably wouldn't last in top six Premier League sides at this point in their careers, but that experience will pay in competitions like the Champions League. Um, a player like Julian Weigel in the midfield as well, who has a lot of Champions League experience, uh, a Bundesliga experience as well. Um, this team is very, very much built to sit in and counter. And they do it with purpose, and they did a good job of that against Ajax. Of course, like they outshot Ajax, but only had about you said four on target, was it? 
four on target, you know, that's not great, but realistically, when you are counterattacking with purpose and with the right mentality, the right players, and the right environment, even against a team with so much quality like Ajax, who are, and again, Ajax is a team that I love to watch because they, they're such a fun team. They play with so much purpose. Another team that will sit back and counter against bigger teams, uh, but when they control games, they do that as well uh, really expertly. And I do think that this uh, second leg, although in Amsterdam, is going to be another really tight affair. Um, I do like Ajax's odds, of course. I do think they uh, should come out on top. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited to see where this goes next because there was obviously a little luck for Benfica involved with that own goal. Uh, either way, it's going to be a cracker of a game. You know, as we look to wrap up this week's Champions League, and you know, we got a week off, and then we're back for second legs. I think it's really perplexing when you look at these because I don't think any teams in a, in it into the final eight. And I don't think any team's out of the final eight, realistically. Like, you know, that Chelsea team obviously winning 2 nothing is going to require a Leo performance at home. Um, you know, an inspirational Leo performance at home in order to, you know, come back from this deficit. But they weren't significantly outplayed, I don't feel, by Chelsea in this match. You know, Havertz scoring early and Chelsea got a couple of good looks and then... You know, Pulisic scores one on a counter. But besides that, I thought Leo was in this game for the most part, and I think there were flashes. I think, you know, it's just going to be a bit more – they need to be a bit more clinical in the final third. And not to, you know, pump the United States men's national team, but, you know, a guy like Timothy Weah, if he's 100% fit, he's a guy that could do dividends in this match for Leo in the second leg. I wouldn't be surprised if Renato Sanchez slides in and if Way is fit to play. And then Jonathan Jonathan David had a quiet match, but we know how good he is both for the Canadian national team as well as for Lille this year. So it was a quiet performance from the a very young Lille team, but with everything to play for in the second leg, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and get one quick and then Chelsea all of a sudden has to play a cohesive 80 minutes in order to... Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah I... I completely agree. I mean, you know, it, it, it all depends in the second, like, whoever gets that first goal because, obviously, with Lille, Lille uh, being the home team, if they get that first goal, they will have the momentum. And since the away goals, you know, like, it, since it's completely, you know, even on goals, you know, all they need is one more and then it's even. So, you know, uh, it, it I'd say that f- for that match, it's going to be, you know, I, I expect Lille to, uh, to turn the pressure up early, uh, like you said, and we'll, and we'll have to see if Chelsea can, uh, if Chelsea can hold them back. Before we go on to everything else that the world of soccer has to offer, including some thrilling games in the Europa League, primarily just focused on a German giant knocked out and then Barcelona staying somewhat relevant in the world of soccer. Before we jump to that, to the lesser of the European leagues, gentlemen, I'm going to ask, who do we think goes through? I've got Ajax. I've got Atleti. Sorry, James. I'm going to take Villarreal, and I'm going to say Chelsea holds on. Sorry to Tim Weah. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I actually agree with all four of those. Um, I'm, I, it's it's pretty easy these days to bet against United in uh, the Champions League. Uh, I do think that away goals should be a factor, but of course they're not. Atletico really could do damage even at Old Trafford. Ajax going home, they have to get a result. Villarreal, you know, without and honestly, I I, I know I'm, I might sound like a biased American fan saying this, but without Weston McKennie, Juventus, they have seriously struggled this year. They've clearly been better in matches that he is fit and he is playing in so I'm gonna take Villarreal and yeah Chelsea that 2-0 deficit even going home for Lille is gonna be too much to overcome um I'm gonna agree with some of your picks I do agree that Chelsea uh will make it through uh as well as Ajax 
Um, I am going to say that United will pass, uh, just because, you know, the second leg at Old Trafford, you never know, one of those magical nights, uh, you know, Ronaldo might step up, especially with his record against uh, Atletico de Madrid. So um, I'm going to go with United, um, and for the other match, I'm going to go with Juve, just um, honestly, just because I, I feel like, you know, even without McKenney, you know, if if they can get the ball out of Vlahovic, I mean, because he scored within, what, 37 seconds, if I'm not mistaken, you know, if, if they can, you know, power through that, you know, huge gap, um, it's at home, you know, I feel like Juventus, you know, they, they've been in this position before, they've, they've won the Champions League, Villarreal, you know, they, they just won the Europa League last year, so I feel like at this point, you know, the experienced players might, you know, just slightly out edge uh, of Villarreal. With that being said, it's time to switch to the Europa League, gentlemen. You know, we can look at today's matches as they came pouring in, but realistically, I think there are two that catches the, you know, usual soccer fan's eye, and that's going to be Barcelona staying alive, beating Napoli 4-2, to and then Rangers drawing with Dortmund 2-2, to and Dortmund being knocked out of the group stage, or the group stage, out of the Europa League entirely. You know, I think starting with that Dortmund versus Rangers game last week's match between the two was a surprise to many, including myself. You know, this Dortmund team is still very much alive in a title race in Germany, and to, I don't want to say roll over in the way that they did, but, you know, to lose 4-2 to against Rangers last week was definitely concerning, and then you knew that they had their work cut out for them, and, you know... Granted, you know, no Erling Holland in the lineup, which is always hurting you when he's just so prolific. But I just not a, I don't just didn't see a lot of inspired soccer today from that Dortmund side. A two-two draw is probably what they were expecting, you know, with the lineup that they brought out. Not to say that they rolled out a significantly weaker lineup, but you know, you didn't have a good performance from Royce or from Ozard or from Julian Brown. So it's. It's always tough when the guys that you need to produce don't produce and, you know, Rangers get a fortunate penalty call early that really set the match up for them to win. Dortmund knocked out of the Europa League's knee-jerk reaction, guys. Does this affect them at all in, you know, their quest for a a, a Bundesliga title? I'm going to say no because they'll finish second and they will do that every year for the end of time, you know. Like, there's no way they're ever going to go ahead of Bayern in the Bundesliga which is kind of kind of draws my attention to how poorly they did in the Champions League, crashing out, you know, in fashion in that group with uh, Lisbon, who made easy work of them. Uh, I just don't think that their performances in the Bundesliga have reflected their performances in Europe because they're sitting comfortably in second, uh, I believe five points shy of Bayern. So they're in a position that they normally are in, and they usually do not perform this poorly in Europe. Uh, I don't know what the problem is. The players look disinterested. The lineup they put out today, not incredibly weak, but also not incredibly their strongest. And uh, happy for Glasgow Rangers. Like, super proud for Glasgow Rangers fans. Like, this is a huge achievement. Even if they don't go on any further in the Europa League, they can say that they knocked out a German giant in uh, the group, uh, not in the group stage, in the knockout rounds. That is a massive accomplishment for this side. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I don't think that, you know, Dortmund will do anything else in the Bundesliga. I mean, if anything, you know, they might, because don't forget, now this is the only competition that they're in, so they might be able to, you know, they will focus more on that. But, I mean, I, I just don't think that it'll be enough because Bayern Munich, 
seem to always win, and I think that they will continue to win. Um, but, I mean, yeah, uh, just to echo what you said, you know, a huge win for Rangers, you know, beating a, a German giant, a, a European giant um, out in the in the knockout stages, you know, is pretty impressive, and, and all the credit to them. That brings us to the second marquee matchup that saw maybe an Italian institution, definitely the one of the four of the big four in Serie A in Napoli. You know, they took on a Barcelona side with Barcelona having to do much of the work in this one, you know, just because you think of all the animosity that surrounded Barcelona in the most in the past, you know, 365 days with the leaving of Messi, the Coleman failure, the financial problems. Xavi puts together a side, you know, I don't want to say out of scraps, but we saw him get, you know, an aged Pierre, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, excuse me, in the transfer window, pick up Adama Traore as well. You know, a lot of questions for this Barcelona side that. You know, came out and delivered, I would say, a classic Barcelona performance. You know, beating Napoli 4-2 to advance in the Europa League. Jordi Alba got it going early. Frankie de Jong follows. And then PK scores and Alba gets one in the 59th. Napoli, I don't say went down without a fight, but, you know, I think it's coming to see that Napoli's in a very much a rebuilding phase of their club. They're not the team that they were two, three years ago. You know, Insignia is probably the only, you know, staple in terms of who to cons- who to expect consistent soccer from. Uh, him and Koulibaly, but obviously Koulibaly doesn't have the potential to impact a game like a frontman would. And I think just, you know, watching this Barcelona's result, it's, it's a reminder that there are better days to come for this club that's, you know, been down on its luck recently, financially, you know, performance-wise as well. And I think for this Barcelona side, it, it's... It's emphatic that you get this one and you stay alive in the Europa League just because, you know, as an institution of European soccer, you need to stay relevant somehow. And it's not the, you know, glory of the Champions League, but the hope if you're Barcelona, the hope if you're Xavi is that you push it all the way to the final. And if you win the Europa League final, it's seen as a tremendous success, you know, in your first year as boss, but also in a very much a rebuilding Barcelona team. And I just... For me, I've always felt like, you know, especially since the Coleman drama and everything, you know, Messi leaving, there's a big question mark as to what's the legacy of Barcelona for the next five years. Are they still going to be a premier, you know, place that European soccer talent wants to play at? And, you know, not in the sense that you're picking up a Ronaldo, you know, that United does after his prime or a Cavani after his prime. You know, you want to be the team that had made its money and made so many good moves in getting young talent, whether it be Messi when he's a kid or, you know, bringing in a guy like Samuel Eto'o, you know. Can Barcelona resume to that form after Messi leaves and with all the financial troubles? I think that if they, you know, hold out and stay relevant within Europe and stay relevant within La Liga, they're on the trajectory to resume normalcy in, say, two years than probably I would have anticipated. Obviously, La Liga is a little easier to stay in relevancy with just because, you know, you play more matches. Super important that they get the 4-2 win against Napoli, especially a side like Napoli that, you know, is a perennial Champions League appearance. James, I think I speak for both of us, and Michael, I'm assuming you're nodding on Zoom. Barcelona, you know, staying relevant is just excellent for the game of soccer. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's not all sunshine and rainbows in Barcelona right now, but this is... Um, and you touched upon this. It would be a big achievement for Xavi if they do go on to win this, as a uh, as like a first year coach in 
in uh in for a uh, big European side like Barca. Um, again, though, the just the f- mere fact that Barcelona is playing in Europa League still just uh, it blows my mind. I can't begin to comprehend the fall of this club. But you know, a good performance today against a pretty good side in Napoli, uh, a team that also is a little bit disappointing to be at the in the Europa League at this stage. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the match itself looked a bit like uh, the Barcelona of old. Not so much tiki-taka as they used to, a lot more direct, which again surprises me that that's coming under Xavi, but I do like that direction for this club considering how much younger they're trying to get, even though you know Aubameyang is up there in, in his 30s now. He put in a good performance. They got goals from all over the pitch, you know, De Jong from the midfield, two goals from defenders, and Alba and Pique. So, you know, it's it's starting to get exciting again for Barca, and that is, of course, good for uh, European soccer as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, if, if you take a look at that first goal, that is all because of the new signings from the winter winter window. Aubameyang intercepts the, the Napoli corner, gives it to Traore, who does an absolute, you know, he just runs down the pitch and then gives it to a wide-open Alba. So, you know, it, it's, I, I, I do, I mean, just to echo what you said, you know, it is... You know, it's it's looking up for Barcelona. You know, if you take a look at them now, they're fourth in La Liga with a game in hand. So you know, they are fighting for Champions League. So you know, this is where we want to see Barcelona because Barcelona is one of the greatest teams in the world. You know, they've won the sextuple, they've won the treble. You know, they are soccer royalties. So the fact that you know under Xavi uh, that they are you know slowly starting to improve. I'm not going to say that you know that they're going to win the lot next year. You know, it'll be a lot longer. But, you know, it, it is starting to, you know, be on the up, which is something that they need, especially after all the downs that they've been through in the Champions League and through the past two years, I'd say. I think, you know, as much as we love Barcelona, it's still definitely a rebuild. And, you know, James's point is absolutely correct. It's a little more direct than we're used to seeing from Barcelona, but I think it's, you know, Xavi's just playing with the hand that he's dealt. And so long as it works and gets Barcelona back to a place of, you know, stability and you know financial stability and also like consistent performances I think that Barcelona fans will be fine no matter how the results come so long as they win transitioning into some Premier League talk really quick just because we have to get to some domestic news here in the United States we've got a title race on our hands gentlemen and as much as I'd love to dive into this you know we can just pretty much summarize it all in a couple sentences here City lose this weekend you know in an absolute thriller maybe game of the year against Spurs you know speaking of Tottenham they go ahead and lose to Burnley you know Burnley that's fighting a relegation battle they lose 1-0 yesterday so I think Conte Spurs it's a very much play up to your opponent play down to your opponent basis but Liverpool now equal on matches played with Man City currently a three-point gap Good to remind everyone that they meet again the first weekend, second weekend, excuse me, of April at the Etihad, which will hopefully have all the implications of who's going to win the title. Um, that being said, a ton of soccer going into that. You know, you look at Liverpool, who just thrashed Leeds six nil yesterday. Arsenal today two one against Alex Wolves is Wolverhampton Wanderers. You look at that and you say maybe Arsenal's eyeing that you know fourth place that's currently occupied by. United and you know Arsenal has two matches in hands and they're only you know one point off them and then five points behind Chelsea. Chelsea again not looking like they're threatening anyone. Um, guys, quickly just because I want to get to this you know domestic stuff. This Premier League title race is 
you know, shaping up to be another two-horse race between Liverpool and City. In my opinion, I'm obviously a Liverpool fan, but from an unbiased perspective, those two are just in a class of their own, and then everyone else is hanging out. My question is, is what's a more, you know, obviously the title's the title, but what will be a more fun race to watch? You know, City versus Liverpool or United versus everyone else and Chelsea versus everyone else holding on to those last two spots because it really looks like nobody wants those two spots. Everyone is trying in their best to somehow choke away Champions League soccer next year. Yeah, and even though there are more teams involved for the uh, third and fourth race now that Chelsea has decided they want to get involved with that as well, I'm still going to say that the title race is more exciting because, you know, City have been slipping the past few weeks. You know, the drop points uh, to Southampton, lose to Spurs, and now they've got Liverpool, who have been exceptional as of late, you know, just literally knocking on the door behind them. That race is going to come down to the wire, potentially the last match day. City not in, you know, terrific prem form right now, but, you know, they thrashed sporting in a Champions League. It's just going to be the two giants trying to knock each other down. And that match in April is going to probably be the decider for everything else. As for the fourth place race, yeah, that's going to be exciting. Uh, the only thing is the games in hand just make the whole thing like not not um not very smooth in order to follow, you know, chronologically Arsenal are going to have to, you know, catch up at the games played and that's going to, you know, make their schedule congested and that could end up being a whole issue. So there's some nuance to that fourth place uh battle whereas in the title race it's just, you know, dog eat dog. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I'd say that, you know, at the end of the day, the title is the most important thing in the Premier League because at the end of the day, they're the ones who lift the title and, you know, they can become champions. And especially, you know, over the past week, you know, Liverpool went down to Nor They were, you know, down 1-0 to Norwich. They fought back. Then they absolutely, you know, destroyed Leeds 6-0 with, with Tottenham doing the double over City. Now it's completely wide open. And, you know, just to repeat what you guys said, that match on April 9th, I want to say, um, you know, that probably will be the title decider because, you know, if, if City win and it, it say it's still a three-point gap, now it's a six-point gap. If Liverpool win, they have the goal difference. You know, it, that'll be a titanic battle, and, and I can't wait for that. As for the top four, I mean, it's, it's a close call. Arsenal do have the games in hand, but one thing to note is even though there are two games in hand, it'll be three because Liverpool aren't going to play this week because of the Carabao Cup. And those games in hand for Arsenal are against Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham. So those aren't, you know, against teams that they should be beating. You know, those will be proper matches. But, I mean, it's it's too close to call between who wants fourth and third. Because, you know, up until eighth spot Tottenham, you know, anyone, any one of those teams could go for it. Even Wolves, even though, you know, they just lost again. Sorry, sorry, Alex. <laughs> you know, yeah, even Wolves, you know, that's how... I don't want to say, you know, contentious this third and fourth place races. Maybe it's just fourth because you'd be really hard-pressed to believe that Chelsea's going to just give up their Champions League position so willingly after how well they started the season. But, you know, a team like Wolves that hasn't had a lot going for them this season, they're still somehow relevant and becoming relevant within that, you know, Champions League discussion. But, yeah, you know, just focusing on that title race, you know, we obviously look to the marquee matchup on, you know, April 9th, I believe, it is, you know, that may decide it, but there's a lot of games to be played before then, you know, Liverpool, you know, not this upcoming weekend, but the first weekend in March, you got Liverpool versus West Ham, and then you've got the Derby between, you know, United and City. Fast forward a couple weekends, got Man City taking on Palace, you know, a Palace team that has 
exceeded a lot of expectations this year. And then, you know, Liverpool has to play United before they play City. And then, you know, they get a couple dog games in there as well. And then, obviously, the 10th, the big tilt between the two of them. So I think the worst thing either of these teams could do from an unbiased perspective is solely focus in on that April 10th match day because, you know, you can lose this title very easily because as we see time and time again, such as in that Burnley win against Tottenham yesterday, any team in the Premier League has the potential to show up and shock you, and you better come ready to play every single match day because you don't want to go, you know, be looking down at City or if you're City, you know, peeking over your shoulder to make sure Liverpool's doing Liverpool shouldn't be doing, and then all of a sudden a team like Watford comes up and steals a point from you, and then all of a sudden the gap's to two. That all being said, domestically we've got some big news. I think the news that everyone was expecting from and hoping for for the United States Women's National Team is they and the United States Soccer Federation settled the equal pay lawsuit for $24 million. You know, this was settled in court on Tuesday. It's going to pay them about $22 million towards the you know United States Women's National Team. Just to kind of summarize here, James, you know, it's been a struggle for for what feels like an eternity, but definitely since the most recent United States Women's National Team run of form. You know, obviously, I think unbiased soccer fans can say that they deserve, you know, equal pay to the men's team. Or if if you're not even going to argue for equal pay, which is idiotic in of itself, definitely more money than they are making because of, you know, not only the consistency of soccer they play, but also, you know, just in terms of revenue that they bring in towards the United States Soccer Federation. I think that everyone who follows soccer or doesn't even care about soccer can look at this and say this is a win not only for the United States women's national team, but a, you know a good direction for women's professional soccer to be taking because the recognition from the United States Soccer Federation that this move is necessary will hopefully you know lead to more opportunities and you know better salaries and you know whatever it may be for the women's national league here in the United States. I'm satisfied with this. You know, I don't know what else more is going to happen, but I think the biggest thing that we can see is that, you know, like obviously Megan Rapinoe's one of the women that, you know, spearheads this. And we see it all the time with this women's national team is that they're really are the trailblazers in terms of, you know, United States soccer, of fighting against stigmatization across whatever it may be, whether it be, you know, race, gender. Um, pay in this case, you know, we saw yesterday, you know, as the United States women won their third She Believes Cup, you know, wristbands that say, you know, like, help disabled kids or whatever the message may be. They're obviously always pushing it forward from a soccer perspective and also changing the culture of the United States, the way that we look at, you know, women in sports or also just anyone that's not like ourselves. So very respectable and very, you know, praiseworthy that this lawsuit is settled for the price it's settled for so that, you know, it. I feel like just it's been a conversation for so long. It's just so good to be not done with it in the sense like, oh, thank God, but done with it in the sense like, thank God that they're getting the recognition they deserve and now we can go forward. Yeah, it's, a, it's about time. Uh, and, you know, there is one little caveat that I will mention and Hope Solo, uh, former U.S. women's team keeper, pointed this out that it, the... Uh, the equal pay plan is still contingent on a new collective bargaining agreement from the women's team, which has been the biggest issue preventing it in, you know, the past six years, I think it was when the lawsuit was initially, you know, came to fruition. The only thing is now that the plan is in place, it seems like that collective bargaining agreement is going to happen. So that's a win. And, you know, the work isn't done yet, but it's, this is clearly, uh, clearly a good thing. And, you know, I've seen a lot of backlash to this, which is awful. 
Um, I cannot understand the notion that the women do not deserve equal pay or even more because if you look at the revenue from the past few years and you look at, you know, even viewership and you look at, you know, just overall attention to soccer in this country, it is all centered around the women's team. They brought in more money than the men. They perform better than the men on the international stage. And it, it, this is as much and my favorite sports team of all time is the U.S. men's national team. I am absolutely thrilled that this is going in the right direction finally, and I'm really looking forward to that bargaining agreement actually happening this time so we can have equal pay because it is about time. Not to just put the whole thing behind us, but because it is the right thing to do. Oh, you guys basically took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, uh, 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 there's really nothing else uh, that I could add on to that. Yeah, and I think, you know, to James's point, it is about time that it's the recon- the recognition is bestowed onto them. You know that they have res- deserved time and time again. You know whether it was the most recent, you know, three in a row that they clinched with the She Believes Cup this week, or you know the success continually at World Cups and Olympics. You know, obviously they didn't get the gold this past summer, but they still medal, and that's more than you can say for the men you know, period. So it's not, it's nice that the recognition is bestowed unto them. And, you know, not that we can put it to get bed, but we can move forward into the collective bargaining agreement. Hopefully it all goes smoothly and that, you know, the foundation has been laid for the women's national team to receive the monetary, you know, what is monetarily required for their, you know, service that they provide for the country and also what they provide for the United States Soccer Federation. Still focusing domestically, though, we do have the return James of my favorite league and yes that's a loaded statement because I love baseball like a child but with their own CBA going on and how frustrating that offseason's been I'm talking about the MLS it returns this weekend and you know for the non-MLS fan you know maybe you're not into it maybe you think it's watered down soccer but I, I personally love the MLS because you know you think of how this national program is growing, if you look at the big picture of the United States men's national team, how many of those guys that are in that first team got you know some quality minutes with an MLS side before being sold abroad, or conversely play for a team in the MLS? And you know, with as mind-boggling as Greg Berhalter is as a boss, he does love his MLS boys. So it's always nice. Yeah, that to see, that much is true. You know, it's always nice to see which guys you know he likes in the MLS and when they go play in the national team you can you know be puzzled by his decision making that being said Saturday February 26th we get the MLS rolling um, obviously it's NYCFC's title to lose winning it last season I'm personally excited you know I've been a Chicago Fire fan forever and they are just a big sad disappointment but they signed Jordan Shakiri this summer you know Gabriel Slovenia their goalkeeper is third string on the first team for the men's national team so I'm super excited about what the fire have to offer obviously in New York NYCFC them and Red Bulls last year was an incredible rivalry going back and forth you expect that to continue you know throughout this entire calendar year and then you know Charlotte's new in the league and then you know the perennials of you know LAFC and then you've got an an Insignia signing to Toronto. It's Insignia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was just making those small Italian, you know, whether it be Giovinco who was there yeah. or Insignia or, you know, all the Italians, they just blend together in my mind. That being said, you know, Sunday we continue Galaxy play NYCFC. That's a big one. You know, hoping New York can get in the right direction match week one. But top to bottom, 
I just love the MLS just because I don't want to say it's goofy, but like it's unique. Yeah, it's unique. It's yeah. like very niche in terms it's of ours. It's yeah, you're right. It's you love it like a child because <laughs> it's yours. Yeah, um, and it's gonna be an exciting year. You know, you mentioned a uh, bunch of big signings. Uh, you mentioned Shakiri and Insigne. Another one, Douglas Costa going to LA Galaxy. That's huge. Like, wh- when did a player in like who just turned 30, 31 come to MLS like just about in their prime? This has never happened before. This is really, really exciting. Well, Javinko, but it's happened once before. It's really, really exciting time for Major League Soccer. Really exciting time to be a New York Major League Soccer fan because um, both the Red Bulls ended the season with a lot of improvement and they've brought in some good signings. Uh, NYCFC, of course, reigning champions. They brought in some good signings. Tiago Martins, the center back, comes to mind. Uh, they're just bolstering the team when they're at their best. That's good news for them. Um, and you mentioned LAFC, you know, Carlos Vela, the magic man he is in MLS. I'm going to mention another team, Seattle Sounders. Uh, they always have one of the strongest sides in the league, and they brought in one of the best players from Real Salt Lake, like a one of the biggest free agency signings in MLS history, Albert Rushnak. He's only 27. Uh, that team is going to be absolutely filthy. They have so much depth. Um, you know, exciting. Chicago even. You know, they're not They're not good, but they're going to be better this year. Um, when you're I'm, at rock bottom, you can only go up. James. Exactly, exactly. Uh, they'll, they'll be better than Cincinnati and Charlotte. I'm sure of that. Um, New England, you know, come, came off of a big, big year winning Supporter Shield. Matt Turner going to leave midway through. I don't know what they're going to look like. They brought in Josie Altador, you know, as old and broken as he is. Yeah, 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 I saw that. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a different year in that there are so many question marks for so many teams with all these big additions, with all these young players moving abroad, like we mentioned. I'm, I just can't wait to get the ball rolling. I can't wait to start going to some matches with, you know, crowds again starting to refill up again. Uh, after COVID, like we saw a bit of in 2021, rivalries are going to be at their best. I, I'm just, I just can't wait. Yeah, and I think that's what I what I love most about the MLS is it seems like every year there's a new storyline, right? And I feel like you know, not that I don't appreciate European soccer because it's what made me fall in love with the game, but every year we know City's going to be triumphant. We know you know, and Golo Conte is going to be an absolute horse in the midfield pending an injury. You know, Mo Salah has emerged into one of the best goal scorers, and Ronaldo's Ronaldo. You know, have all those staples. But in the MLS especially, you know, each year there's something different brought to the table. Like last year at the start, if you would have told me NYFC is going to make a run and win the whole thing, I would have told you you're dreaming. If you would have told me that Matt Turner, you know, would have developed over the 2021 season to challenge Zach Seffen for the starting spot of the United States men's national team and also getting signed by Arsenal, you know, a big six in Europe, in London, excuse me, I would have been like, you're absolutely dreaming. You told me Ricardo Pepe is going to have the season that he's having, get signed by Augsburg, and you know look like the number nine that the United States national team so desperately craves. I would have told you you were dreaming. So that's what I love about the MLS, and which makes me so excited for this season is it seems like every year, especially since you know you've seen the MLS expand, you know back in 2015, really when they welcomed it in YCFC in Orlando. Every year since then, there's been a new storyline. There's been a new player that has gained you know not only attention in the MLS but national attention from either you know the U.S. Soccer Federation and the men's national team or you know international attention and you know maybe getting bought out to go play abroad which is always super fun you know 
not fun when it's a Chicago Fire player because I know Gabriel Salinas is going to get sold one day and we're going to be back to having Ricardo Sanchez in goal who literally could not stop a beach ball. He was terrible, but I'd always play with him on FIFA 19 just because he'd always make some Spider-Man-esque save. He also had a great number too. He was 45, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like, what are you doing? I love dude? that. I love that for a keeper. Yeah, it's like he got called up off the taxi squad, but like never <laughs> wanted to change his number to one or zero yeah. or something conventional. But yeah, like that's why I love the MLS. And also, you know, you mentioned Josie Altador getting signed to New England, and you know, I know that he still gets national team time. But like guys like Josh Uzardas, guys like Jordan Morris, who are realistically just destined for MLS their entire career, it's always nice to see them get their moment to you know show you know maybe they don't have the skill to that they once did to compete at the top level of the national team, but they're still quality players. And you know, it's not like watching a, your dog grow old, but it kind of is in the sense that you know you're still watching Josie Altador running behind and putting class finishes, and you're like, ah, Josie, take me back to you know your mediocrity with the first national team for so long. Yeah, 2011, you know. Yeah, yeah, right when everyone thought he was going to be the absolute man. But we are super excited for MLS to start. You know, I think we can go ahead and say it. Michael's obviously abroad when he rejoins you, myself, Nick Guzman. We're going to have the pleasure of covering both NYCFC and New York Red Bulls for WFUV, so be sure to follow along our Twitters. They're always included in the tweets for this podcast but you know covering them all season long that's going to be super fun just because you know we obviously watch MLS from afar but now working so closely with you know the Red Bulls NY and NYCFC I'm really excited for all that's going to bring for us just because you're getting the game so close you know the storylines are only so big as you allow them to be I feel like for a sport like soccer in the United States and the closer I feel like I am to the sport the more I'm concerned about every small little detail happening around the league whether it involves NYCFC or not. That all being said, what an incredible week of soccer it's been. You know, again, non-political podcast. We hope that things in Europe cool off. You know, this past couple of days have been helter-skelter. And, you know, as selfish as it may sound, we don't want things to get to a point where, you know, national security is threatened on a broad European level and we don't get Champions League. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, it, it is with good intention that we say this because that's not good for anyone involved across the season, you know, even here in the States. That's just scary for everyone. MLS starting this Saturday, always super fun. Looking forward to a great season. Uh, Michael, I, you're cutting me off mid-rant to end. This better be good. I'm still in shock with what you said around five minutes ago, and, and, and I'm not sure if it's because of the connection. You know, I, I'm 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 over Zoom. But did you say that the MLS is the best league in the world? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh no! Come on. Where do you, you get the stories that. in Major League Soccer anywhere else in the world? You don't. You don't. Where else do you have NFL stadiums with two percent capacity? Nah, nowhere nah, else. Nah, New on. England, Gillette that. Stadium, Soldier Field. That. Yeah. Oh my god, I am just in utter shock at what you have said. You have insulted millions of soccer people worldwide with that comment. That is just so wrong. Well, it's it's nice that the millions worldwide are upset. Right. If, if it's they nice w- that millions worldwide are tuning in here. That's yeah, actually right. fantastic. Yeah, right. Good point, good point. Yeah, like, what- like, I know that you, I know that you guys can't see me, but uh, Alex can <laughs> confirm. He like I, I I was hitting myself with this program just because I was in shock with what you said. You know what? It, I will say this. I will say this, Michael Hernandez. But, but you can't say it's the best. If league. any world soccer fan wants to come to an NYCFC match in the dog days of summer, I'm talking 92 scorching degrees, and sit in those bleachers and roast like a tomato, 
they're entitled to their own opinion about the MLS. But until they do so, like I have done before, I, their words are worth zilch to me. <laughs> MLS is back on Saturday. Super excited for that. Premier League, I mean, what can you say besides it's going to be absolute pandemonium in the you know month and a half leading up to title day? Champions League is going to be Champions League this you know off next midweek. The following midweek, we pick up you know four second legs, and the following another four. Should be great soccer across the board. Besides Man City, absolutely thrashing Sporting Lisbon. That game's worth nothing. Everything, all other seven games are going to be absolute thrillers. Be sure to check those out. Hope everything in Europe cools down because we love soccer and we hate to see the world turn against each other because it can really just be settled with the beautiful game. For Michael Hernandez, Michael, it is close to 1 a.m. there. You better get to sleep. James Burley. James Burley here in studio with Keenan. Troy, it's good to be back. Telling everyone to take care. We'll see you next week. Tune into some soccer this weekend, especially the MLS. Up Chicago Fire. New York is red.